Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 182 of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your host Ugo Che. I hope you're all having an awesome day. Personally, um, my day is really awesome because finally I was able to interview a person that I've been chasing for a long time, but finally I was able to get him on the show. Our guest today is a photographer, photo educator and author who specializes in landscape, travel, humanitarian photography and whose photographic portfolio spans the four corners of the globe. In 2011, he founded The Giving Lens, an organization that blends photo education with support for various NGOs and causes around the world. The Giving Lens helps fight for child education, clean drinking water projects, species preservation, women's rights, and much more. So please join me in welcoming Colby Brown to the show. So hi, Colby. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. It, it's my pleasure. Actually, I've been chasing you for, for quite some time. <laughs> it's been a number of years, huh? It's been, a, it's been some, I mean, we, we, I think we got to know each other through Google Plus back in years ago. And then when I started the podcast, I think I contacted some people you know and oh, tell Colby if you want to come <laughs> on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> but I guess you were, you were busy traveling and doing workshops and whatnot. You were kind of busy. So now it's uh, maybe the silver lining of having to stay home could, <laughs> is that I could get you and find you with, with some time from home where we can have finally have uh, the chance to, to talk. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to find silver linings in 2020. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you you said Google Plus. It's it's hard to imagine how many years it's been when Google Plus launched and the photography community kind of flocked there. And like so many relationship, digital relationships formed yourself and myself and a lot of other people that, you know, had stayed connected over the years because of that initial community. And here we are, even after Google Plus is gone, and so many of us have stayed connected on Facebook or Instagram or other smaller groups. And it's uh, it's been pretty great, actually, even even if Google Plus didn't work out, that we we built this big community that has somewhat been resilient to, uh, you know, breaking apart, even though uh, the, the platform itself is no longer here. Absolutely. I remember I, I was on Google Plus and I got to know you and I have like, you know, I think I remember there was like 5,000 people that you could have in your circles. And I added 5,000 photographers there. Because <laughs> <laughs> Google Plus was all about interest, right? Yeah. Shared interests. Yep. And I was interested in photography. I was starting as a professional back then. And I was starting in photography and I wanted to network with as many people as possible. And it was great with Google Plus. And I, I never used Facebook a lot. I, I was on Facebook, but I just had some few connections. Then when people started, well, there was news that Google Google Plus was going to to be phased out, shut down. We started moving to to Facebook and recreating all those connections. But I don't think they would have happened on Facebook the way they happened on Google Plus, and then translated. And as you said, they were maintained those connections on Facebook. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So I said you were you were traveling a lot, but now there's uh, not a lot of chances to travel. So what's keeping you busy? I see for the people who are not uh, we are watching the video here and they can see your nice setup in your on your back. But for those who are uh, just listening to the audio version of the podcast, I see you got a nice microphone, awesome light, three monitors, and so on. So you, you built your own. Home uh, professional audio video recording studio. Yeah, that's yeah, you know that 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 has been as we talked about before. It's been one of the silver linings for 2020 for me. I there's been a lot of things over the years. I mean, I've been doing this professionally for 15 years now. Six, no, 16 years now. 15 years now. And throughout that time, I mean, I predominantly do international travel. So every year, I'm usually traveling six, seven months out of the year. Um, I'm traveling all to all seven continents. I'm working on projects and expeditions and leading workshops. And, and within that, I've been very fortunate and I've been very fortunate to build my companies and to, to make good money and to constantly stay busy. But it's also put off a lot of these other ideas that I've always wanted to do. And one of those ideas, um, kind of has, has come to fruition this year because of the lack of travel is building a home studio so that I have a, a professional space that I am confident in that I think visually and audibly is at the level that I'm happy with uh, to be able to push out more content, to be able to create more marketing campaigns for companies, to do video pieces and gear reviews, uh, to do more tutorial work that I have already done where I've worked with companies like, you know, Capture One and Phase One and Adobe and On One Photo Raw. And I can do more stuff for them. I can also do more stuff for my own store. And this gives me the professional space to do so. Um, and maintain that level of quality that I am kind of a stickler for, which has been a hindrance in the past because I have, you know, not wanted to to do so much because I felt that my studio wasn't ready yet or or uh, these other things. Um, it, it's one of the the uh, the negative sides of my own personality that that I, I kind of like things to be at a certain level before I really dive in, um, and so sometimes that causes delays and. This is a 14-year delay in the making, but we're actually finally here, and I have this together, and I've been able to create a lot of content this year that I wouldn't have otherwise. So, so we can expect to see more from you in, in this respect. You're, you're, you said you're, you're going to do these videos for, for clients. Yeah. I saw some tutorials you did for B&H, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from, you know, a lot of the clients I've been doing work with is, of course, B&H, Dell, uh, Sony. I have some upcoming projects with Intel. Um I'm doing work with uh, other camera manufacturers, whether it's tripods or filters or other stuff. You'll be seeing a lot more gear reviews. Uh, there'll be some things that are, you know, obviously a lot of the, the free stuff out there for everyone um, on, you know, building up more of a YouTube, like a lot of other photographers there that are putting a, a bit more emphasis on video content these days than just stills, uh, still photography. So it's a, a bit of a smorgasbord. It, it's it's the the idea of diversifying the types of content that I'm putting out there and the platforms that I'm using so that I'm not reliant on any single one thing and I can constantly be able to ebb and flow and move with the ever-changing industry that we have and dealing with things like COVID and other stuff where I can kind of pivot on the fly and not have too much of a hit on revenue streams and be able to focus on something else for a few months if things change or if we have another interruption or disruption in travel and stuff like that. So it's, you know, the the, the age-old saying of don't put all your eggs in one basket. I I learned long ago the importance and significance of diversifying. And so diversifying revenue streams, diversifying clients, diversifying the products and services that I offer are all fun challenges that I think a lot of photographers should, you know, take a serious look at these days. 
are you planning or are you already doing some kind of uh, online education for photographers? Yeah. Directly, I mean, yeah. because I see a lot of people, I mean, me included, I, I never did too much online education. I did some webinars and so on, but I'm doing more just because, I mean, there's not much else we can do. So <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> we need to, to move the, so how do you see? So my first question would be if you're going to do more in this respect. And, uh, since everybody is pretty much doing this, how can you, can people, find like find some something good and how can you create good educational projects what, what what it takes and what people should look into when they're like oh there's a bunch of courses out there and everybody's doing webinars sure. whether paid for free how do you tell quality education from just random people doing yeah that's a really good question i mean i i think i think regardless of of you know 2020 and the pandemic and this kind of onslaught of a lot of more educational opportunities coming out there for people like myself and yourself to create it and other people to consume it is that, you know, both you and I know that there's a big difference between a good photographer and a good teacher. And and I think that there's a lot of amazing photographers out there, but there are fewer good teachers. And unfortunately, the reality is, is that for a lot of the time when it comes to people consuming this type of content is that you just have to tie it, you know, start and take a, a bit of a leap of faith. You have to find content from a photographer that you admire and either get it for free or purchase it as depending on how they offer it and see if it, if it speaks to you. Um, you know, the, a, a good educator can meet people at their level and can explain things in a digestible way that inspires them to want to take that information and to somewhat make it their own and, and create their own works of art and, and things like that. And I think that requires that experimentation and, and that I, that, that, um, you know, test, so to speak, to, to buy people's stuff. I, I've had clients of mine that have bought tutorials from very well known social, you know, photographers on social media that have millions of followers and have been disappointed because it wasn't what they were expecting. And that can happen no matter what. Um, and so you kind of have to figure out where your line is and, and what you, what you're looking for in order to learn from. Um, right now it's a beautiful time to be a photo enthusiast because there's so many people, again, like you and I, that are creating amazing content out there. And, you know, there are people that will relate and resonate with us individually. And some of it will be collectively, depending on if people are into landscape work or wildlife photography or portrait photography or learning lighting or video work. There's all sorts of great resources out there. Um, and, you know, for, for people that are, are trying to figure it out, it, it's, it's a bit of a guess or check, you know, check out reviews, check out what other people say. But oftentimes it requires just you diving in and figuring out, you know, or, or is the content good? Is the video and audio good enough for you to be able to follow along? Um, you know, is, are, are they speaking to you slow enough are, for you to understand so you don't have to keep rewinding every, you know, 15 seconds for a segment? Mm -hmm. um, how do you access the content? Is this stuff that you can download that is yours, you know, forever? Do you have to stream it? Um, there's all sorts of different nuances within this space that not only content creators like us have to figure out, but also you guys content consumers have to figure out how to what works best for you i guess is what i should say so um yeah it, if you find find someone that you think is creating work that inspires you and see if they have any free content and if they do check that out and if it works for you maybe 
purchase some stuff from them and support them. And then maybe you can find a couple other ones as well if you have, you know, the financial ability to. And that way you can learn from a mixture of people. And then, you know, eventually you'll find you'll gravitate towards a certain kind of person or uh, a certain individual or groups of individuals that will then continue to create content that you can continue to consume as you are furthering your own creative pathway and, and you know, navigating the, uh, the creative waters that we're, we're all kind of running through. Interesting that you mentioned speaking slowly enough. It just occurred to me it's something that I never considered, but right, we, we now live in a global world. Yeah. And of course, you will produce courses, videos, and so on in English, any type of content you do, you produce in English, but there's a lot of people, including me, for for whom English is not their mother tongue. And I, I pride myself in being able to understand English pretty well, but uh, I think a lot of Italians like me, they don't have the same level of understanding. So sure. if you wanted to reach those people for, for whom English is a second language, it's important to consider your your language the, what you say not just speak don't speak too fast yeah don't use too much maybe jargon or yeah. jokes that only people <laughs> from a certain culture will be able to to understand and, and grasp that's uh that's kind of a responsibility that you have there to to be understood by people outside the borders of us uk and canada australia yeah. and so on absolutely i mean you know this uh, you know from from your workshops i imagine you get a mixture of people that have come on your trips from you know english speakers to non non-native speakers and and it's you know the again it comes down to teaching it comes down to speaking clearly choosing your words carefully demonstrating what you're trying to demonstrate in a clear and discernible way and making sure people get what they want out of the content that you're that you're creating or selling, depending on how it is. And so all are, are very important facets. And and yeah, you're 100 percent right. We are in a global community and, and not only, you know, geopolitically and all this other stuff outside of the photo industry, but just, you know, between travel, between interests, between these communities, like we said, started in Google Plus, um, you know, we have I have followers and you know, hundreds of thousands of people on different social platforms from all over the world. And I want to be able to reach as many people as possible and help inspire and educate as many people. So I want to make sure that I'm reaching those individuals that, you know, don't want to listen to me talk 100 miles an hour and, you know, make sure they understand what I'm trying to say. And, and to, to convey that, I think, is, again, a representative of a good educator, of a good teacher. And sometimes those are harder to find than just a photographer that creates exceptional work. And so that's why it requires that experimentation to say, hey, this person's great. I'm going to pick up the tutorial and maybe it works for me. Maybe it doesn't. But sometimes you don't know until you actually dive in and watch it for the first time. Sure. We mentioned social media and we talked about Google Plus at the beginning of our conversation. And it, I was just reminded that you wrote a book about Google Plus, <laughs> right? Google Plus for photographers. You, you, were, you were, as I said, very active back then on social media. And has your approach to social media changed during the years? And how can people, do you think people still can make a dent or make a name for themselves using social media nowadays? Or it looks like it's become more difficult, right? Yeah. Facebook is uh, limiting the stream. And if you don't pay for your posts to be boosted, then nobody will see them and so on. What's, what's the... What's the scenario right now? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think you're right to some extent. I mean, I, I think 
I think the people that get that, that tend um, statistically to have the largest following are those individuals that got in right when when a social media platform started taking off. You and myself got in Google Plus like right away. You know, we were able to have the benefit of being there the longest. We learned the ropes. I was able to write books that gave me notoriety. You know, we got into suggested user lists, like all sorts of different things that helped us grow followings. Um, Instagram was the same way. You know, a lot of people that got on first when it started. Um, some of those individuals have millions of followers now because they've been producing content the longest. Um, and it was a beacon of, of a representative of, of what a profile should be or could be for new users to come and, and land on a, a platform like Instagram. And then, oh, I should follow this person. And then now that person just naturally is going to be growing, ha- have grown larger than on the rest of us because they were there from, say, day one. Um, and so there is some reality to that in the sense that, you know, if you're trying to get on any of these social platforms now, you know, your chances of, of being the next Chris Ricard and having, you know, two or three million followers is not impossible. It's just improbable, at least in the short term, you know, it can take time to build it. Now, that being said, you don't have to have a large following in order to get the benefit out of having a active and, and viable social media presence. Depending on what your end game is, depending on what your focus is, you can find quite a bit of success with a small to mid-level um, you know, follower count or interactive rates, uh, depending on what you want to do. Do you want to work on marketing campaigns with companies? Do you want to sell products and services? Are you looking to find clients in real life and using social media as a means in order to advertise and showcase what you are trying to offer? Um, all of those are viable pathways to find success. And there are still ways that you can grow your following, even if it's slow, even if it might require occasionally a promoted post here or there to get your content in front of more people or collaborating with larger, you know, hubs on these different platforms to showcase your work so that hopefully you can get some more followers. Um, oftentimes it comes down more so to your intent and your strategy for what you want out of it to, to make to, to, to signify if it's worth your time or not. There are photographers out there that are doing just fine that don't have big social media presences because they have built their revenue streams not on reliant on social media. So it's not a requirement. It is just one of many pathways. And sometimes arguably you can say that it, it is potentially easier to use social media as a conduit in order to create more business, in order to find more clients, in order to connect with more individuals that might be interested in the products or services that you're trying to offer them. And so that's where I think social media can be beneficial. And if you're not doing this from the business purposes, there are still plenty of opportunities in these different social platforms between Facebook groups, you know, Instagram chats, even private stuff that's happening on, on, you know, chat programs like WhatsApp or Signal, where you can find collaborative groups that are looking just to inspire each other and help each other out and, you know, it's like you edit a photo and then you send it to your group and they'll give you feedback because it's this kind of closed circle. Those are beneficial as well if you're just looking for education and inspiration. So there's a lot of opportunities to find benefit out of social media. But like I said in the beginning, you need to figure out or define what it is specifically that you're looking for. And then from there, you can develop a strategy in order to attain what you're after. Uh, because if you don't have a strategy, then you're kind of just wandering aimlessly and then you're never going to achieve your goal because you don't necessarily even really have a goal. You're kind of just there to be there. Yeah, I see uh, a lot of people, but sometimes myself included. Yeah. Just, uh, 
put out stuff on social media without a lot of strategy, as you said, and hope to people to flock to their channel or or page or whatever. It's, sure. it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's hard to happen. Into it. Yeah, it, exactly. Hard. You know, sometimes for me, I think what helps is to to create almost like a business plan. Like a lot of people that start companies, uh, photography companies, don't write out a business plan. And sometimes it's just that carthotic experience of writing out the different elements of what you're trying to do, you know, storyboarding it, so to speak, creating a structure can be the same for a social media strategy. It's like you write down what is your end goal and then you try to think logically, how do you get there? And sometimes just a simple act as doing something like that can clear your mind and help give you a bit more purpose and a bit more um, idea on how to achieve, uh, achieve those different types of things. So hopefully that ho- hopefully that helps a little bit, but I still think social media is valuable, but you are still 100% correct that it can be harder to grow a larger following. But sometimes I think people are over romantically looking at the idea that they want a large following because other people have it rather than because it's necessarily beneficial to them. Good. I don't know if you could hear the siren going by. So I, I don't have a nice studio like you with <laughs> <laughs> no words. Um, sound uh, proof walls and everything <laughs> i'm living at the ground floor on a trafficked street so sometimes there's traffic no worries so, it's it's part of life yeah, uh and speaking of life i mean yeah we've got this sound coming from outside which reminds us that it's not everything is virtual right it's nice to be able to with to have these amazing tools, to have social media, to have Zoom that we are using right now to talk to each other over thousands of kilometers, but that's also real life. So let's talk a bit about what we normally call real life. <laughs> and I want to wanted to ask you if you have any plans, what are your thoughts about going back to some kind of normal, again, uh, going out, traveling, leading tours, workshops, and so on. So are you planning something or just staying there at the window, hoping that something will happen? Yeah, I mean, a bit of both. You know, there's uncertainty still. Um, there's less uncertainty than there was a few weeks ago because we are, you know, everyone listening. And we're now at the cusp of the beginning stages of the access for a vaccine um, or vaccines for multiple different companies for a a a look towards the potential, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, once enough of the world has had a vaccine uh, or have taken enough precautions and we could figure out ways to, to, to combat COVID, that I think things will change. And I think it's prudent for photographers to prepare and plan for that eventuality because it is going to happen. There will be some sense of a new normal. Maybe we all carry you know, cards like we currently have to do to travel to certain countries for yellow fever, for example. Um, we might have to have one that shows that we have our COVID vaccine and when we had it and, and stuff like that. Um, and so as a, a photography, as a photo education and a, you know, content creation, um, you know, based companies that I own, we have to prepare for the reality that that's going to happen. So I am, putting together all the logistics and planning for tons of workshops, a handful, you know, lots of workshops for next year, 2021. Uh, But I can say that the vast majority of them, I am not realistically expecting, neither are my clients, anything to happen before the summer of next year. And that is just a a reality based on the number of people that can get vaccinations, how many vaccinations are being made. Um, 
you know, how many places and, and what rules and regulations are going to be put in place for anywhere between international flying to getting visas to enter countries to all sorts of other things for international type of work. Um, but we have to be prepared. Eventually, the floodgates will open. Eventually, whatever the new normal is going to look like is going to be here. And if you wait till that time in order to prepare, you're going to be behind the curve because there's a lot of people out there. I'm sure you know this that are chomping at the bit that are just wanting to go out, waiting for it to be safe. Um, I have ton- I have huge wait lists for vast majority of my workshops of, of people that just want to get out and do something. And they're just waiting on the d- definitive dates that I have. Some of them I've set, some of them I haven't just yet in some of these countries so that we can prepare and plan for that and, and also have built in, um, you know, uh, redundancy plans in case, you know, there are delays or that a workshop has to be delayed for a few months or things like that. It, it's, it's not an easy place to be in order to, to plan all those types of, of eventualities. But I think that we have to start that conversation. We have to be prepared. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to it because it is going to happen. It's going to look a bit different, especially at first than what, what we've been used to before 2020. Um, but we will be back traveling in 2021. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. And I think a lot of people out there is as well. So yeah, I, I realistically long winded answer to your question. I think something after at the minimum April, May of next year, but more realistically kind of early summer to next fall is probably more realistic for, um, for any type of, of international travel workshops and, and things like that when it comes to our companies and liability and all sorts of other fun things, let alone um, visas and other, you know, what other rules and regulations are going to be in place that we will all have to abide by. You kind of anticipated my next question. <laughs> you said that it's uh, it's going to be, yes, it's, we're going to go back to travel. I, I certainly believe that with the vaccines, uh, or, or we're going to eventually go back to, to traveling. But uh, I'm not sure if you agree, but there's going to be a new normal, but the new normal will not be like the old normal. Sure. Things will have to change. You mentioned having maybe to carry a card or certificates that you've been vaccinated or uh, some something like that. But there's also going to be probably a change in the way that people think about travel, sure. about their own travel. Uh, I don't know what it's what it's going to be like. Will people be wanting to travel more since now they've been locked at their place for so long that they will just be there at the gates and they will just, when the gates open, they will flood the market (laughs) or they will be just, let's wait a little bit more, see how things go. Things will pick up slowly. Will people maybe, I was thinking just, this is just thinking off the top of my head. I didn't spend any real time considering it, but maybe people will want to avoid certain places, certain locations that have become overly popular and crowded. Sure. So, like, not everybody will want to go to, uh, I don't know, Santorini in Greece, just thinking of the, the first uh, uh, location that came to my mind, which is usually very popular and very crowded. And, uh, and people will want to f- discover places that are a bit less uh, popular, less crowded, just to, to avoid the crowd, still, yeah. because they're still a bit worried about being in the company of too many people. Did, did you try to figure out what the new normal will be? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think those things are, are very much going to be reality. And, and, and you have, you have a handful of different variables at play here. Um, 
you know, depending on like every company is a little bit different uh, in terms of who people that lead workshops. So the individuals that come on on your trips or, or you know, someone's trips are generally of a certain age group. Some people are older that have more expendable income. Some people are younger, depending on how you market, depending on all sorts of other things. And so if you have a, a group of, of um, you know, if, if you're demographic base is tends to be a little bit older i think there's going to be more trepidation there's going to be more precaution i think you know people waiting i think if you have a younger demographic of people a lot of people that come on my workshops for example i'm i'm fortunate in that regard are anywhere between their their 20s to you know mid 40s um is is on average is is what i typically get or have gotten in the past and so i think the that type of age group might be a little bit more keen to get out there more quickly regardless of of um you know how close in proximity we are toward you know to vaccines and how the vaccines are going to be spread around the world um in addition to that you also have the uncertainty with income so it's not necessarily just the uncertainty of can we travel what are going to be the rules you know a lot of people have had you know their income and their revenue cut or hurt or they've had to be laid off work or other things so what you know the the question of what are the people that are going to be that are want to do workshops that can't afford to do workshops, um, what is that going to look like? Is that going to change? And I don't necessarily have that answer just yet, but it definitely is going to be a big variable that's going to come into play. Um, and then that, as you said, mixed in with location, I think is a is a big thing. I, I think the big locations, you know, uh, you know, going to Angkor Wat in Cambodia to shoot sunrise at uh, in Phnom Penh might not be on the high everyone's high list to be crowded mm-hmm. with 500 other people shoulder to shoulder to shoot sunrise at the little reflection ponds in front of, of those amazing ancient temples um, where you might find some more success or, or more interest is in a lot of places that that I typically work these days are, are a bit more remote and that's some of my own choosing and also um, because I've gotten a little bit personally bored of, of some of those other locations that are uh, typically a little bit overpopulated. Uh, where if I go to Patagonia in, in Chile and Argentina, there's a lot less people there than there are um, in a lot of other places. Or if I go down to Antarctica, if I go to go on a safari, you know, take clients down into a safari in South Africa, we're going to have our private group and our private vehicle. Um, and we're going to stay on a compound that has a very set number of people. So the the threat of of transport of of transmission or worry about anything related to COVID will be limited or regulated to the, the the transit period, the the being in airports and stuff like that. So I think you're right. I, I think where people go, I think uh, will be a key. I think you know income and revenue streams will be a key. I think demographics will be a key, and access to vaccines will all play a role. And I don't think any of us really have those answers just yet. But I think that just talking about it, thinking about it. And attempting to prepare and plan for that uh, type of, of eventuality or reality is a, a good practice regardless. But uh, it, it's going to be a new normal. You are 100% right. It's not going to be like it was before, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, um, another one of your initiatives uh, that we, we we talked about it with uh, our common friend, uh, Kate Chevon Mulligan, mm-hmm. is the Giving Lens. She was uh, our guest in uh, episode quite some time ago and um, for, for those who have not heard about the giving lens or have not listened to our podcast back then we put a link in the show notes for it but do you want to uh, tell people tell our listeners what is the giving lens and what are the the plans for for that maybe post 
this pandemic period? Yeah, absolutely. So for those that don't know, The Giving Lens is an organization that I founded back in 2011 that aims to blend the passion that we have as creatives for photography with giving back to communities through organizational support around the world. So essentially what we do is we take teams of photographers to various different countries where we partner with a local organization, NGO, charity, um, that is fighting for a very specific cause. Sometimes it's youth education. Sometimes it's women's vocational schools. Sometimes it's uh, refugee support, like Syrian refugees. We, we've done some work with them. Uh, we've done work with um, uh, families coming up in, in the caravans from Central America up to the U.S. We've, we've done that in Mexico earlier this year. Um, and, and through those experiences, we teach these photographers how to be better photographers, but we're also using it as collaborative learning environments to work with these organizations to document their, their uh, projects, to help them raise money. Uh, the trips themselves act as fundraisers for these organizations. So photographers have a, a tangible way to come and have an experience that they couldn't get otherwise because of the behind closed door access that we get to these communities where they know that the money that they are providing to the giving lens is going back to these communities to help the people that they're working hand in hand with um, to make a difference at a local level. And it's it's evolved over the years. It's been amazing to see kind of what it's become. Kate is uh, runs it for me now. Um, she's done an incredible job. She's an amazing photographer, an amazing organizer. Um, and and yeah, post 2020, we're doing the same things that we were just talking about in terms of trying to get a feel for what travel is going to look like. Um, you know, as you can imagine, you know, one of the first things that typically gets cut when economies start to get hit is is philanthropic work is is donating to causes and so a lot of these organizations especially in these developing countries that we work with are having seriously hard times trying to fundraise trying to find ways in order to stay afloat to, to help the communities that they're working in and so we're trying to be proactive to find new ways in order to reach more people um we are gonna we're, we're creating new initiatives to create more content to educate people. We're looking at the opportunity to do some stuff, at least locally, um, uh, um, the, you know, or maybe not locally, but nationally in the U.S. and Canada as we wait for the international borders to open <laughs> or U.S. residents to begin to, to be able to start to travel again um, in order to help, you know, uh, people like First Nations in Canada and things like that. Um, and then once we can open up, we want to get back and, and continuing to support the communities that we have been working with, um, as well as developing new relationships with new causes um, in new locations that have uh, issues and challenges because they don't have the advocacy. They don't, you know, no one's telling their story. Um, they're not able to fundraise. Um, and so we're going to help go in and, and try to you know, train these organizations and how to create better content. We're going to provide them with, you know, fundraising. We're going to bring photographers down to document their projects. And we're going to try to find um, new and progressive ways in order to help combat and, and, and be a viable voice in this, this side of the, the art community um, with those that want to make a difference out there and that want to help these organizations that desperately need it right now. I think this is very important. And, uh, I like the, the name, the giving lens, because 
too often or too many people when they, they travel, they travel for, for photography for every other, any other reason. They go to foreign countries, developing countries and so on. And they think about what they can take from those places, right? They can take, we talk about taking pictures. Yep. Or we talk about taking memories home and turning the thing on its head and talking about giving, giving something back. I think it's very important and very thankful that you, that you are doing this. I think it's uh, very, very important. So I appreciate that. That, that, in that, you know, not, not to dive into it too much because I know we have other things to talk about, but you know, that, that in itself was one of the core reasons why I ended up starting the giving lens, you know, that the reality that I saw when I first started traveling, you know, even way back in 2005, 2006 of how most tourists and certainly still travel photographers were involved in this one-way street of of experience when we traveled it was as you said it was very take 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 me 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 i'm going to take your picture i'm going to walk away you're never going to see me again i've benefited from this you haven't and that never sat well with me and that's you know i i liked the idea of breaking down that wall breaking down that barrier and finding something that is mutually beneficial um to to help these communities to to give photographers like i said that tangible means in order to know where your money's going, to work with people that need it, um, to make a difference and to do all of it within a community that is, you know, looking for some assistance to help empower themselves so that they can continue to define their own future rather than just have a bunch of, you know, foreigners come in and attempt to solve their problems. Like that has never worked in history. And so we definitely want to avoid that kind of cycle of dependence. We want to find ways in order to work with these communities at their level with their needs and and help in the ways that we can specialize in um and listen and learn from them as well because i think that's a big part of it that typically gets lost sadly in the humanitarian side of you know most industries you know irrespective of of just the photography industry great i would like now to ask you a more of a personal question that is once you will finally be able to travel, especially abroad, uh, what's the first place that you will want to go? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, my my career has been interesting over the years because I've I've kind of done a handful of different things. I, I started off focusing on travel, and then I had a big focus on landscape, uh, you know, remote locations for a while. And these days, a lot of my passion has been tied towards wildlife photography, um, you know, conservation efforts and things like that. And while I still do all three of them interchangeably throughout the year, I think the thing I've missed the most out of not traveling outside of March has been wildlife. Um, I, I started off 2000, uh, and my, I celebrated New Year's of 2020 in Uganda tracking silverback gorillas, um, in the Buwindi impenetrable forest. And, uh, I thought it was going to be a good foray into what to expect with 2020. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that it was going to be my last wildlife uh, adventure for the year. Um, and so I think it's, it's that I, I think whether it's tracking silverback gorillas in Uganda, I'm really, really keen to get back there. Um, I'm <clears throat> have plans and projects putting together to get back to, uh, Brazil, uh, to do work in the Panthenol region with Jaguars. I think those are keen, um, in, in my own personal, uh, experience, things that I want to get back to that I've been visiting for years and, and just long for. Um, and then some new ones as well. I was in the middle of putting together a snow leopard expedition in, uh, Mongolia and, um, in that region in, in the mountains out there. And, um, you know, that had to be put on hold. And now I'm, I'm excited to kind of, 
revamp and restart uh, those conversations and kind of start to to plan for some new stuff that I I haven't experienced myself as well. But that that would be the long winded answer of of what am I thinking of? You know, one of my first trips is oh, is going to be wildlife focused. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty specific. Yeah. even though it's not tied to a specific country, but yeah, wildlife is a is a something that is always. Uh, Great and uh, yeah, attracts uh, attracts myself as well. Yeah, so. it's fun. It's challenging, right? Yeah, it's fun working with 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 models that don't know their models <laughs> that don't listen to you all the time. <laughs> I think that challenge is what I love and what I miss a bit about not you know I, I here in I live in eastern Pennsylvania here in the East Coast and I can photograph deer and bald eagles and we have some black bears and some stuff here and it's not bad. It's great. I enjoy it. Um, but there's something about being on the ground with a creature like a gorilla or you know, swimming around the waters with caimans and, you know, crocodiles or, or I don't know, just different things like that just really kind of gets me excited. Um, and, and I think that is again a part of what I'm missing most is that challenge and that excitement that I've, um, I haven't had this year because I've, I've been fortunate to spend a ton of time with my family, which has been amazing. Um, I, I, it's more time I've spent this year at home since I've, with my wife and son, since I've been married for 10 years, uh, which was an interesting conversation me and my wife had a few times this year. But that being said, I, I, I think once the gates open and once we're able to safely travel, I'm eager to get back out there in the world and, you know, to, to see more, to experience more, to, to capture more, as I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, I, I know you have a, a tour planned to the Dolomites. Yes, if it happens this year or next year. Yep. So I hope maybe we can meet up face to face there. It's quite close to where I live. Absolutely, it's not a lot that. of wildlife, but you mm-hmm. can find some wildlife. There. Sure, maybe bear encounter. Okay. <laughs> well, outside of the wildlife Deer, stuff, Ibex, I, I think birds. I think my favorite, you know, wildlife is definitely my my more recent, you know, sustained passion. But I think you know, long running has been mountains, you know, mountains, mm-hmm. mountain ranges, um, you know, the cold, crisp air, you know, beautiful sunrises and sunsets, mountain lakes. Those are, are also bring me to a happy place. You know, I, I lived in Colorado and Boulder for 10 years. I grew up in the Sierra Nevada mountains around Yosemite when I first, you know, came into this world. Um, you know, I have a special place in my heart, like I said, for places like Patagonia um, and, you know, the, the Alps and what you guys have out there in Italy are phenomenal as well. And so those type of places also get me excited. Even if there's not going to be wildlife there, I'm still very looking forward to that trip, um, which hopefully there's will happen next of, fall. <laughs> there's a bit of wildlife. It's a quite a, uh, or I would say, anthrop, I don't know the word, but mm. it's, it's a place which is there's quite some people. It's not as wild as you might think, as Patagonia, right? Sure. There's uh, sure, towns sure. and villages and roads and tourists. So the, the wildlife tends to be a bit shy and stay away from, from the main roads, but still you can, you can find some. It's, uh, especially birds. There's some great birds there. Nice. So Good enough. If you're into that, uh, bring a long lens, not just for landscape. <laughs> <laughs> bring a lens for birding. Touche. Anyway, uh, it's been great to, to talk to you finally and have this conversation. Is there anything else that you would like to, to mention before we wrap it up? Um. I don't think too much. I mean, you know, obviously anyone, you guys listening, if you guys have any questions about what we talked about or if you're interested in any of the stuff that I have coming up, you're obviously more than welcome to visit my website at ColbyBrownPhotography.com or follow me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or any of the social stuff out there. Um, I'm very approachable as well. If you guys have questions about gear or stuff like that, shoot me an email. I can't always get back to you right away, but I am happy to help however I can. Um, and, you know, the 
the little bit of advice I just give to everyone else that's listening as well along those same lines is, you know, to, to, to hold strong, you know, stay safe out there. We are at the beginning of the end of all the craziness of 2020 and what it's brought to us. We will be able to travel soon again at some point. Um, there is promise out there. There's a lot of good still happening out there in the world. Don't get inundated with all the negative news and all the other stuff that's out there. Um, you know, try to find silver linings as you and I talked about today. Um, you know, believe in positivity and, you know, I hope to see at least some of you guys out there once we can start traveling and especially you once I get to Italy next fall in the, in the bare minimum, at least then. (laughs) Of course, stay positive. (laughs) Stay positive. Stay positive. That's a great message. So thanks again. And hope to see you somewhere on the road soon. Sounds like a plan. Cheers. Bye for now. Cheers.